Thanks for listening. This is Angela and David. The following episode was recorded in the winter of 2019. Stay safe. Rise up. Be mighty. This is Into the Trenches. This is an entertainment podcast. We talk to people in the biz, and we're talking about directors, casting directors, producers, actors, anybody who's in this industry. We want to talk to them and talk about what it's like to be in the trenches. No matter what size market that you live in, the one thing that's universal is that this business is hard. So our hope is to have people on the podcast who can share their journey, and perhaps you'll relate with them, learn from them, or just have an amazing time listening to them. I'm David S. Hogan. I'm Angela DeMarco. And this is Into the Trenches. Welcome to Into the Trenches. I'm David S. Hogan. I'm still Angela DeMarco. And we're talking about the trenches. We're getting into it. It's uh, already kind of murky in here, the trenches. It is. The trenches. Can you feel it? Can you smell it? Oh, I, I hope not. I smell an inspiration. This is episode zero, and we thought it would be best to start with your hosts, me and David. Who are we? If you already know us and love us, great. But for those of you who are listening and maybe you don't know us, this will be a great chance for you to understand why we're doing this podcast. So do I need to introduce myself? Should I talk about? Yeah, let's give them a little, let's give them the resume. So if you don't know, you know, mostly I'm an actor, right? I started in this business as an actor, fell into acting kind of late. I was about 27 when I did my first thing, which was a musical. The Three Penny Opera. La, I was the, la, 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 the street la, la, singer. La. I got to sing Mac the Knife, which was pretty cool. Ooh, nice. I kind of fell in love with uh, the dramatic arts. And then got out of college in 2000. I went to Seattle University and I was just, you know, hitting the boards and doing, doing theater. Worked uh, fairly regularly and had a great time working mostly with Seattle Shakes, Book It, uh, Wouldn't Know. And uh, in 2011, I think that's when I decided to get a talent agent. I know that you had a talent agent. I mean, when I met you, you had a talent agent. You were in the business since you were a kiddo, and I was always kind of envious, but also a little bit intimidated by having an agent. So I got the agent in 2011. That's TCM, Models and Talent. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride ever since then. I think for those of you who might not recognize some of these names, it's a good time for us to point out that we are here in beautiful evergreen state of Seattle, Washington. So we might be talking about some agencies, some companies that for those of you listening in other states, other countries, that's why we are talking about these Seattle businesses. Uh, I started as a child actor, as David said. I was... I'm more of a childish actor myself. (laughs) I was eight years old when I signed with my first talent agent. It was the old, not cliche, but kind of that interesting thing you hear of, I was found. And it was only because I was acting a fool out in the world with my mother, who was a single mother at that time with two girls. And I was acting like a little crazy child. And this agent saw me and approached my mother and said, have you ever thought of your daughter acting? So it was a great way for me to probably get rid of some of that Gemini energy. Mm -hmm. I've been doing film and stage since then. And when I met David almost 20 years ago, he's right. I had already signed with a talent agent. I'd been with them for many, many years and still doing both theater and film here in Seattle. We started our company, Mighty Tripod Productions and Mighty Tripod Acting Studio to not only produce our own work, but also to give back to artists here in the Northwest community and help actors on their artistic path. So it made sense to have a podcast where we could share our own stories, our struggles, our successes, 
bring on other people from the industry, casting directors, directors, producers, that no matter where you're listening, whether you're here in Washington or you're in New York or maybe you're in London, that I always think we can learn from listening to others' journeys. So Into the Trenches came to me one night. I was thinking of different titles, and Dave and I were bouncing things back and forth and back and forth, and it just sounded and fit, and it made sense to what we're trying to do with this podcast, which is talking about how it is to be in this business and to constantly feel like you're in the muck with everyone and how we can help each other succeed in this business. So I think I have a question that I've had many people ask about us as a couple. Another thing for those of you listening that you may not know is that David is, yes, my partner in business, but also my partner in life. We're going on 20 years now. And many people will ask, what is it like to be partnered to, married to another actor? Dun, dun, dun. Dramatic. It's talk about the trenches. How is that, David? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> you, um, it's, it's fine. I mean, I think the old, the, it's, it's more than fine. I mean, I'm just trying to think of how to talk about the actor-actor thing. It's um, as if it's not something that's just normal. I think the only, the thing that I tend to highlight is just that the acting business or that acting as a career can lead to or can mean you have kind of an instability as far as your working hours and your income. So a lot of times you'll see that uh, actors will go out of their way to not date other actors because then you are both kind of living in this very kind of insecure career or you only can eat top ramen for so long. That's right. But the thing about being partnered with another actor is that they understand the the thing. I yes. mean being being an artist is it's just a it's a strange but very rewarding career path uh, in my opinion, but it's also it's hard. It's not a it's not a traditional 9 to 5 thing where mm -hmm. you get paid vacations and you only work Monday through Friday and you know, we all know there's a lot of the whole economy and Things are very different than they used to be back in the when we had these traditional notions of you're gonna get you're gonna go to college and then you'll get out of college and you'll get a job and then you'll buy a house and then you'll have a two dogs and you know, and then you'll sound like that guy and you'll sound you'll, get, you'll do this voice and everything will be great. But I think it's great that you said this and I think it's important for those of you listening if you are like oh avoid avoid no other I'm not gonna date an actor I've dated other actors before David you've dated before me I know I'm so sorry maybe we'll bleep that out too it's fine. Um, <laughs> But what I will say is I think every human is different. And what I will say about David, unlike some of my other partners in the past, is he's actually a very supportive partner. So the fact that, yes, we're both actors and we both understand that he never makes it competitive. And that's the thing I would watch out for. Make sure you're finding a partner, if they're in the industry as well, that you guys are lifting each other up. When I have a video submit or a voiceover or David has a video submit, we'll help each other. When one of us books something, the other one will cover class or vice versa. So for those of you who are wondering, I actually think it works for us because of the kind of people we are, that we're supportive artists versus making it a competitive, selfish mission, if that makes sense. Yeah, that would suck if we were just competing. I've had that kind of relationship. The business is already super competitive anyway, so you have yeah. to deal with that all the time. So, no, But I'll say this would, for those of you listening. Bad. Let's say you're in a relationship and you're wondering, and this is not a relationship show, but I'm going to say this because it is a show about the industry. Hey, I'm dating someone in the industry. I'm jealous of them when they book something. What can I do? Mm. 
You know what you can do? Turn that around and instead be like, wow, my partner is slaying and I am on that arm candy. Wow, my partner is slaying and they're buying dinner tonight. Mm -hmm. Wow, my partner is successful and it makes them happy, which makes me happy. It's really about how you look at it. So I think the more that we lift each other up as sisters and brothers and family and humans, that's just going to make this journey in the trenches a lot easier. I have a question for Angela. So I know you do a little bit of theater. You do some on-camera stuff. She kind of does it all. But we, I would like to know a bit about, you know, the, the theater versus on-camera thing. Whether, you know, do you have a preference? Do you find them different? What's, what's the deal there? Just talk a bit about your relationship to both mediums. I started so young, as I said, and... When I had my first feature film audition as a kiddo, and this was for a movie called Waiting for the Light, starring Shirley MacLaine and Terry Garr, and that was huge for me, my mother told me. I was familiar with Shirley MacLaine just because my mothers loved her. So when I got to meet her, there was something about being on a set, meeting this amazing celebrity in my mind, which I think most of you should agree. And there was something really cool about that, that for me, at a very early age, I was like, oh, film means working with superstars. Mm. Then I was also doing theater at that time. I was uh, taking classes at Seattle Children's Theater here. I was doing school productions, of course. I studied in a BFA program in college. I always loved this stage because I felt like it's when I got to give back because I had an audience. I had hundreds of people watching. You could give and receive with them. You're on this full journey. And then as I got older, I realized, and I did several films without celebrities or names. And now as an adult, I can look at it and realize I love them both for very different reasons. The mediums are different, but it's still storytelling all the same. What I love about film is I do think it can be so raw and in your face, depending what you choose to do. And I do pick and choose now what projects I dive into. And it really lives forever. That's pretty crazy to think of a medium that it's like, wow, that is out there in the world for always. <laughs> uh, I was fortunate enough to be part of First Sight Productions short film Together Forever, which is currently on YouTube, and we have millions of views. And the story that it tells about these two women and my character proposing to her, her girlfriend, it's such a beautiful story and it touched so many people that I realize now we live in a world where social media and places like YouTube or any other platform where you could put your videos or film festivals that we can reach hundreds, thousands, millions of people. But my passion in my heart still lives with theater for the fact that there is nothing like being on stage. You don't get another take. This is it. And to this day, I'll still get stopped on the sidewalk or in a store and get recognized for a play I did. And I'll forever remember during 9-11, uh, I was in a play, and we were opening that weekend. And it was obviously a horrific, scary day. And our director came and said, I think we can't open the show this week. And they reached out, and we'd already sold out for opening, to all the patrons and asked them if they still wanted to attend. And they all said yes. And as an artist, it not only as a human, for us all to be in that fragile state, that emotional state, and that Friday we opened and did the show to this sold-out crowd who got to escape into this ridiculous British farce for two hours. And when we bowed, I remember hearing people crying. And it wasn't because the show is sad. It's that it was, oh, back to reality. 
And that was such an eye-opener for me as an artist that I think both mediums give us, and why I watch film and theater, that escape. So I still do love both, and now I see the power of both. Awesome. So I have a question for you. I'm sorry, no more questions. Sir David. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so you do theater and film. After a, a long day of filming or a you know a show, when you get home. Is this going to lead to nachos? That's all I oh, know. Oh, well, I don't know. I was going to say, what do you do to unwind? Oh, I'm just not a wound up kind of guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to do anything. Just kidding. Uh, well, you know, I, we have a bit of a routine, which is routines are interesting. Uh, I'm developing a new routine right now, mostly around my health and fitness, which is um, there was a lot of resistance there. But it's uh, I think routines and habits can be awesome, but they can also be a problem or a challenge. Uh, but I think the routine that I have post post theater, at least, because um, we've been in rehearsal now for, what, four or five weeks. And now we're in the second week of our show. So right now our routine is come home. Get freshened up, obviously, and then uh, watch some awesome stuff on the old streaming services. There's so much, so much quality content right now. It's amazing. Uh, and so you and I, obviously, as a as a couple, will come home and late night snacking is uh, ranges between um, Angela's amazing nachos, which yes. are fantastic. Nacho mama. Um, I don't recommend that as an every night kind of thing, but you know, everything in moderation, my friends. Or if I'm, you know, feeling a bit uh, more disciplined, it might be something like yogurt and blueberries, you know, something a bit more healthy. <laughs> uh, but usually it's a little bit of snacking and then feed up and then indulging in something probably more on the serious dramatic side for a bit. Like right now we're watching The Outsider, Amazon Prime with Ben Mendelsohn and a lot of other awesome people. Another Stephen one of my favorites. King. Uh, another Stephen King project, Jason Bateman, my... Uh, one of my inspirations, and also because he and I, strange story, this is a fun segue. So Jason Bateman was in a show, a TV show, I think in the 80s or 90s, called The Hogan Family. And if you've been listening to this show, uh, you know my last name is Hogan. Jason Bateman, his character in The Hogan Family was named David Hogan. And according to the internet, Mr. Bateman and I have the same birthday, which is January 14. So it's kind of a strange thing. Um, and it also, I definitely have a talking point. I have an in when he and I meet. I'm definitely dropping that and he's going to be just <laughs> so overwhelmed with my knowledge of trivia that we're going to become instant best friends. Back to your question. Yes, binging a few shows and getting our grub on. That is probably my favorite post-show activity. Something that you also do and we've actually been doing more and more recently at the house that I think I have to draw attention to because I think it's something that's good for all the artists listening you know, whenever you need to unwind, that you are so into music. Oh, that's true. And we got home the other night, and I remember you were like, we didn't turn the TV on. I think it was a nacho night. And you, you know, put on our Alexa or your little mini speaker in the kitchen, and you'll always introduce me to new music. So let's segue into that, too. When did music become part of your life? That's a good question. I was wondering if you were going to notice my... Musical inspirations. I would think so after 20 years. 
Yeah. Um, well, my parents were into music for sure. My parents were very into the arts, so I was going to going to theater and going to entertainment like the Seahawks. Like you know, football is just entertainment, right? So we would go to Seahawks games. But we'd also go to theater, and there was always music in the house. You know, my parents had a very diverse and eclectic taste from rock to soul to R and B. You know, Motown, everything. So I was exposed to all different kinds of music, and I think as a very young youngster, you know, 10, 11, all that kind of stuff when I'm starting to develop, develop my taste. Um, I was kind of into like the harder rock stuff, like, you know, Quiet Riot and Twisted Sister and that kind of stuff. And then I don't know when I suddenly turned into a hip hop head, but I definitely became like hip hop and R&B was my thing for forever. That was like, that was number one. And my next door neighbor, um, his name was Stanley, but we, he went by RD. He's uh, he's still a DJ, and uh, he and I would we were very obsessed with wrestling, like WWF, yes, like wrestling and Hulk, me too. Hulk Hogan. Oh you know, yeah, like, again oh, the yeah. Hogan thing. I'm like that guy's name is Hulk Hogan. I want to be big and buff and strong like that. That never actually happened. But Rock still, that mullet. Yeah, it was still a really wonderful fantasy. And he would I he and I would like we would wrestle and we'd have like this little elaborate setup upstairs on the third floor of my parents' house. We would have like mattresses laid down and we would just totally we made like wrestling belts out of cardboard and tinfoil. <laughs> yes. It was intense. Totally into it. But we were also into music and he was DJing back then and we were into hip hop. And when I got into high school, uh, I went to Garfield. This is where I met one of my other really tight buddies, Chris Bieber. And uh, I helped him produce uh, a hip-hop album. You guys made it into the paper. Yeah, yeah, we made it into the SU paper. I was like hip-hop entrepreneur David Hogan. And that, that was at CLU. But we met at Garfield, and we made a record, released a record called uh, Major Weight Media. I believe that was the name of the group, right? Major Weight Media was the name of the, um, of the crew. It was Chris Bieber and my other good friend Damon Perfect. Chris continues to to make music, which is absolutely amazing. And I've just been just an addict and obsessed with with music and staying up to date on on everything. And uh, I love listening to music. It, it elevates my mood. I sometimes use music to help me get in touch with characters. I just love it. You won't, you know, I, I can't get away from having headphones on my head or earbuds because I just uh, music makes me happy, puts me in a in a in a better mood. And so. Usually when I'm in a funky mood, I just have to remember, just put on some music, man. It'll mm -hmm. be all right. Transport me. As I'm looking at David right now, I'll give you guys a visual. He has these brand new glasses, which are super cool, big, thick, black rim glasses, and they are actually made from vinyl. That's right, y'all. Like vinyl record, next level. Uh, I'm going to tie this music into my artists that are listening. I've had a lot of our students ask us this before. And it's something that I do, and it really works for me, where I do think music is important for all of us. If I have a character, especially if it's a more dramatic or intense film, or even a play, and I now make soundtracks for my characters, I'll either find a playlist or a particular song that I'm going to pop my buds in before I dive into that scene or when I'm backstage, but especially for sets, because I think with film, doing take after take after take after take, yes, a lot of us 
maybe can easily just drop into the moment and be there no matter what. But sometimes it's hectic. Sometimes we're rushing uh, to, to beat the light. Sometimes we're behind. So you just always need those other tools that are going to help you stay in that emotional zone. And I have found that music time and time again has never let me down. It's always there for me. And it's something that immediately I connect with as the actor, but also as the character. And I think with music, like David said, it's also just something that can be used in life too. You having a hard day? I'm going to pop in my Lizzo CD and I'm feeling good. <laughs> or David will introduce me to a new artist and I'm just constantly blown away by the new artists that are coming out today. The videos that are so much more powerful and have such a strong message because I also think music videos now are being used in a way to get a message across and to touch people and help others. And I think that's pretty important. I think you're right. So. No more questions. <laughs> that's it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Some people uh, don't know how we met. So this will be a little shout out right now to our friend Nairi, who was in a Meisner class with David. Mm. Meisner, Meisner, Meisner. And I was going through a pretty horrific year. Uh, we won't get into all of that, but it was a rough year. I was not trying to date anybody. And I was uh, just not in a good space. And it, like a good friend, she was always looking out to find the right man or woman for me. <laughs> That's awfully nice of her. <laughs> matchmakers are and, funny. Yeah. <laughs> matchmaker, matchmaker, make me mm -hmm. a match. Um, She's like, I got somebody for you, girl. Hey, you're, you're doing, you're doing awful? You feel like shit? Hey, I got somebody. That's nice. So Nairi reached out to me and said, there is this guy in this class I'm taking and he's just an incredible artist and there's just something about him and his energy and there's just something I think you guys would hit it off. And I told her, no, 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 no. I'm per the doctor's orders and whatnot. I, I just need to take a break from everything. And then there was the Taming of the Shrew that was happening at a local theater. And I decided to audition. Even though I was supposed to be laying low, I just can't say no to art. And I went in, did an audition, got a call back. Cool. Went in. And they were doing a lot of different kind of gender bending with certain roles. And for those of you familiar with the piece, I was called back for Grumio, which is uh, Petruchio's kind of sidekick. It was one of those auditions, for my actors listening, you know them well, you might hate them, where everyone's in the room, you know what I mean? And we're all watching each other. It's so terrible. <laughs> it can be cool if we're all lifting each other up, but uh, sometimes it's just a bunch of haters that definitely want to see you fall down. It's just awkward. I don't. Those are rare, but those they're that so happens. odd. And this is again almost twenty years ago. So, sure enough, I had to do a scene with a Petruchio, and this guy stands up, and he, how I remember it had all these ladies sitting around him. I don't recall this, but keep who, going. Who uh, seemed to really be in awe of him. Oh, my goodness. And this gentleman comes down, and we do the scene, and we actually had really good chemistry together. You yeah, know, we it's did. kind of a scene. David's already kind of ruining it. Obviously, yes, it was David. Oh, now, sorry. mind you, <laughs> David and I didn't know 
that it was Angela and it was David. We did this callback. We had this great chemistry. It was even one of those big, I feel like it was a few hours because I remember we had a lunch break and then had to come back and do more. It was just a very odd day. When he was done with his scenes, this entourage of women clapped. I have an entourage of women, everybody. So FYI. I remembered I definitely had a... Uh, uh, opinion? Opinion. Okay, go ahead. Then sure enough, my friend Nairi, come weeks later, I was offered the role. She told me, hey, remember that guy I told you about in the Meisner class? I said, yeah. She said, he got cast in that theater that's over in West Seattle where you live. You should at least go see him because I know he's going to be amazing and he's the lead in the show. I said, what show? Shadow Taming of the Shrew. Ding! So we had already auditioned with each other, already did this callback with each other. And this was during the holidays, so it was going to be about a month and a half before we started rehearsals. But I remember we had a meet and greet and a read-through. So that's when Dave and I actually got to approach each other. And what I didn't know is Nairi had also been kind of saying, hey, I need you to meet this friend of mine named Angela. And he came up to me and introduced himself. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, Nairi. And we kind of laughed about it. And he said, well, maybe you want to get a, a cup of coffee sometime. And I immediately just shot it down and said, look, I'm not trying to date. I'm not trying to see anyone. You know, I'm just not in a space right now that I, I want to. But I mean, you know, hey, if you if you really want to try, you can go ahead and woo me. Go ahead and woo me. That night, this was the time of AOL.com. For those of you who dial know. Up. It was like dial-up, right? Oh, yeah. The Beep, bop, bop, Internet's all slow. And oh, there was a thing called Instant Messenger on AOL. It would be kind of like Instant Messenger on Facebook nowadays. And he wrote me. And we just started talking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I think within that week, he wrote me a sonnet. This, well, she said, she said, woo. This man and we were doing a Shakespeare show, so it was wrote me, and I don't mean took a sonnet from Mr. William Shakespeare. He wrote a sonnet about me and sent it to me. And ladies and gents, I will say right now that was it, and I knew, I knew, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. The rest is history. It was a fun show. Nobody knew we were dating by the time we started rehearsals and opened. We were already dating, but nobody knew. Keep it on the down low. You don't want to cause any friction. Yeah, yeah. And we were, it was still new. Yeah. But uh, I think we moved in with each other about six months later. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think your mom thought I was nerdy when yeah. I first met, first came over. I had some dweeby glasses. I was definitely not as refined and hip as I try to be now. It's also probably <laughs> failing on occasion. But yes, she, I think you, you told me, you, yeah, my mom thought you were kind of nerdy. Which is probably a good thing for, I think for so mothers too. to think. Like, oh, yeah. he's probably smart. She meant smart. She perk. did. You got to understand, my mom is very street savvy and uh, grew up Staten Island, New York, and, uh, you know, was in the era of uh, protesting and a, a huge activist and feminist and... Uh, when her family tried to move her to the country, which was Seattle, to try to tame her, <laughs> that did not work. So that was the household I was raised in. So, yeah, you were definitely one of the more academic, book smart, but also extremely loving, supportive, and amazing artists, which she saw as well. And I think another purpose of that story, beyond you guys understanding how we met, is that, again, 
I don't think all showmances are just showmances. Sometimes it's a really great way to meet another artist, if not just to make a friend. Some of the, my best friend, Meg McLenn, we met in a show. And she's my friend of over 20 years, best friend of over 20 years to this day. Mm -hmm. So I also think being an actor, whether it's film or stage, is making your chosen family and sometimes your life partner. That's right. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting the the whole the theater thing. I'm thinking now about our uh, like our students and just the opportunities to be an actor here in the Seattle market. And you know, I find that doing uh, being in this line of work, it's uh, I've met so many interesting people because every time you do a show or you get on set, you are oftentimes working with people you've never met before, which is scary, but also really cool, especially if you're extroverted. You get to meet a whole new group of people which become a part of your network or your 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 family. So the question I have for you is, this is kind of, it's very industry related and I'm thinking about our students. So you're an actor and a producer. Do you, do you like being a producer? What's, what's the benefit of being a producer for you? And how did that start? Oh, that's a great question. Our friend Ben Andrews did bring us on to produce a short film with him, which gave us a taste, which pulled us into that trench, the trenches of being a producer. But for me now, taking on a piece, and now that I know what it really is to produce and what goes into producing a film, or even a play. The reason I started producing and still produce to this day, a lot of it was to give myself a role, an opportunity that others were not giving me. I thought, when I lived in LA, before I met David, and this was in my 20s, um, this is in the 90s, it was it was hard. It, it was a really hard, it's obviously just hard period. There's hundreds of thousands of actors there and you're just this small fish in this huge pond and you're immediately getting typed or judged. So I felt that I was just trying to stay afloat there. But I found this great community of women there who started to teach me about the power of producing your own work. And I remember when I came back to Seattle, that's when I produced my one-woman show. And after that, I wrote another play uh, that was not a one-woman show, but it was an ensemble piece, and I produced it. And actually, David and I did it. When we started doing film, I thought, why, why do I do it for theater but not film? I feel the same way when it comes to acting for the camera, like I, like I did in L.A. But I was still so scared to like produce my own film work. I was just scared what that meant. And as soon as I started doing it, a, I realized I was good at it because I think we all have been on a set and know what is wrong or what is wonky or unprofessional or rude. So just do the opposite. Be the professional. Have the good food. Have the good crafty. Uh, be the kind of producer or actor or director that people want to work with. But for all the students and other artists that are listening, we are in the day and age that you should be producing your own work. Because if you don't, who will? Like David said, there's so much content nowadays for a reason, because everyone is creating. You can make a feature film on your iPhone. People have, and went to Sundance. You have no excuse. So I realized neither do I. But I think it was after my short film Always, which was my directorial debut, 
And this was a short film about a, a couple losing their child based on our own personal experience. And it was not only producing it, something that was so important to me, and then giving myself a role that I really felt connected to and a story that I wanted to share with others that I realized the power of producing, that you have full say and how even if it never screened, even though it did, which is great, but the fact that I was happy with just getting it done, how you feel when a film is done and you actually get to look back and go, oh my God, we did that. And the crew and the other actors, for me, there is nothing more rewarding. I just think it's a no-brainer for artists to start creating for themselves. Uh, look at the show. If you guys don't know, then you are missing out. Fleabag. Holy mackerel. Not only is she the writer, creator, she's the star. Phenomenal. So people are doing it on all different levels. Uh, I think more and more, too, as a um, woman, I identify female, that I think we're also finally getting a voice, that we're feeling a little more seen. It definitely was, and still a lot of it is uh, a male-driven industry, and uh, we're still not on equal playing field, but the more that we produce, the more of us are out there being seen, hey, it might actually be a little bit more equal. So I think that's important too. Hey, we're taking a break for some sponsor shout outs. Who are we shouting out today, Angela? The Seattle Film Summit, coming this November, 2020. You can check them out on Facebook for more details. SeattleFilmSummit.com. All right, I have a sponsor shout-out for Jody Rothfield Casting. If you're casting a commercial, a movie, Jody is the person you want to contact. Jody Rothfield at gmail.com, also for you actors. She teaches an amazing auditioning workshop for adults and youth. And I'm shouting out Seattle Voice Academy. You can find them at seattlevoiceacademy.com. Anything related to your voice, this is a place you want to check out. We got voiceover training, vocal health, singing, dialects. If you want to work on your voice, look no further. Seattle Voice Academy. And last but not least, shout out to Mighty Tripod Productions and Mighty Tripod Acting Studio. Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or check us out at MightyTripod.com. Now, this show is called Into the Trenches, so <laughs> I don't want the listeners to think that, you know, DIY is easy. super easy. Nope. But you should still do it. Mm -hmm. I think you have to figure out how to mm, create your own opportunities just because, uh, you know, the audition process is uh, very challenging. Auditioning is very hard. And it, since it is getting easier and easier to get things into the can um, because of technology, cheaper gear, cheaper cameras, people walking around with you know, cameras in their pockets that also have editing software. A oh, lot of yeah. this stuff is yeah. just becoming much more user-friendly. More and more of us have like a, a way in. So you have to, I definitely, we, we talk about it in our classes all the time. You have to DIY your self-tapes. Mm -hmm. So you're already getting familiar with the idea of lighting and audio and editing. And all these things are working together. So you might as well start thinking about, well, what kind of story do I want to tell? Let me give myself an opportunity, write a character that, you know, for myself that I want to play. Yeah. And then you're kind of off and running. You know, it's a five-minute short film. Mm -hmm. Five pages or five minutes. Get to writing. Be creative. 
put yourself out there. Uh, it's so easy now to to see the work and to share the work. So when you say I'm an actor, you know, I always somebody says that to me. I'm like, well, show me. Yeah. Where can I see your work? Do you have a reel? Yeah. Do you have any stuff on YouTube? Do you have a short film on Vimeo? Do you have a headshot? Yeah. I don't even have that. Well, all right, come take a class. Let well, us help you. And here's the other thing. Here's a shout out, and we will have him on the podcast. The 48-hour film project. Mm -hmm. It's international. It's everywhere. Those of you listening, wherever you are, you probably have one right there in your city. It's an amazing weekend. Depending where you live, it depends on when it is, what month. Here in Seattle, we have one in the summer, and we have one in October. Kirk, who is our city producer, he's phenomenal. He's a dear friend. It is a great way to dip those toes Talk about throwing yourself into the trenches, though, because you are literally creating a short film in 48 hours. I'm talking you're writing one night, you're filming the next day, you're editing that night. You got to turn it in by 6 or 7 p.m. the next day. But then they screen, everyone gathers, and the winners of each city, they go to film a palooza. We were fortunate enough for one of our films, uh, One Best of the Fest, and we got to attend film a palooza with all these films from all over the globe. Talk about a rewarding experience to meet all these filmmakers from all over the world, to share stories, to share our different stories of being in the trenches, of how we learned and the ways we fell on our face. And, and it's something that all of you guys should definitely look into if you're kind of like, I just don't even know where to begin. But here's a great way, I think, for us to uh, wrap up this episode zero before we go to the bonus round. If you could give, each of us can do this, three pieces of advice for those listening when they're in the trenches to help them <laughs> better navigate or avoid that pitfall, whether it's as a producer, a director, and an actor. Uh, yeah, pre-production. So preparation is similar to pre-production, right? So as a producer, pre-production is always about preparing for the shoot. Um, as an actor, you can also prepare for your day on set by just being very familiar with what you have to do. You know, obviously you have to memorize your lines, right? You got to get all that into your body, start thinking about your choices. What I tend to do is, um, you know, I like to stay very organized. So I get all of the paperwork, um, whether it's call sheets, you know, I try to get very familiar so I know like, okay, I'm on set tomorrow. I know exactly the shooting order. Uh, I know exactly what's being shot. I'll have my sides. If, if I'm lucky, they'll deliver the baby sides in my trailer. <laughs> so I have a very small version of that. Sometimes the trailer is your car. Sometimes the trailer is my car. Um, <laughs> you know, you just want to stay super organized so when you're ready to go, you can just be prepared to execute. So preparation, that's one. Did you say three things? Yeah, and I'll do one. Right, so there's go one. Ahead, go for it. I would say for my producers out there, always give yourself extra days. You think you're going to mm. do it in 10? Just make it 12. You have a humongous fight scene, the epic dramatic climax of Act 3. Give yourself an extra day. Trust me, you will thank me later. Yeah, going back to, I got one for actors and one for the producers. And for the actors, it's know, know your job, understand your job, 
whether it's for the audition or for the actual day on set. Those are very different kinds of jobs. So understand what is expected of you mm -hmm. and then come ready to deliver the goods. Uh, for the producers, especially for my, you know, my low, no budget producers, get some help, you know, get, get more producers to help you out. And you've got to hook up the food game. You're crafty and you're catering, even if it's your mom bringing in hot meals. It's got to be good because if you're if you're no budget, meaning nobody's getting paid, uh, actors are coming out, crew, we're all coming out to work on this thing, your passion project most of the time, and you, meaning the lead producer, the director, the writer, whatever, the person who is leading the charge, you've got to figure out how to show appreciation for these people other than just thanks for coming, see you at the premiere that may never happen you got to feed your crew you got to feed your team and try to make it as delicious as possible that will keep people coming back and fighting for you number two for me i'll ride the coattails of that one in the vein of david saying know what your job is also stay in your lane nobody wants an actor giving another actor notes nobody wants an actor going and talking to the wrong person at the wrong time you guys know again what your hat is and know how to wear that hat and on the food note, yes, please, producers do it, but not all producers do. Not all filmmakers know. Sometimes they think pizza's fine, but oh God, they didn't know that you're vegan. So actors, bring your own little lunchbox. Mama learn quick, bring my own little power snacks that I know I need to get by. Otherwise, mommy is gonna be hangry and nobody wants to be around me no. when I'm hungry and angry. Number three, David? Uh, safety. Safety is really the most important thing, whether it's about intimacy or about violence, uh, staged violence, you have to put safety first. So if you want to do an action sequence and you have fake firearms on set or whatever, or you have stunts, or you've got to figure out how to get professionals in there to help you out because it's absolutely insane to put other people in harm's way just so you can make your movie. You have to put safety first. It's just, it can't be said enough. Safety has to come first. And especially, and even, you know, for intimacy as well, this is, this is a safety issue. You can't, even if it's just uh, a kiss, you need someone talking to the actors so they're not like, uh, how the fuck are we gonna execute this? What kind of, <laughs> what kind of kiss is this? And then letting, you know, you don't want one of the parties going, well, I think we should be using our tongues. Why wouldn't we? And no one is kind of watching and like supervising this. It's absolutely insane. So if you can't hire uh, an intimacy coordinator, someone has to lead the charge and do it safely and respectfully because, you know, we're making movies, but we got to keep things safe. Actors, I know we don't always feel this way, but unless we speak up, it's never going to change. If you don't feel safe, if you don't feel comfortable, speak up. That is in your right and your power. I know there's still always bullies on set sometimes. Sometimes we feel we're in a rock and a hard place. Hopefully those of you with managers or agents, use them. They're also there for a line of communication. And like David said, know who your go-to is. So if you do feel uncomfortable or unsafe, that if you feel you can't speak up in that moment, that you can go to that person. My number three, and I think it's something we should just do in life, try to find the joy. Have fun. Find the reason why you're doing this because if you're miserable every time you're on set or in a show 
maybe this isn't the gig for you. If you're miserable every time you produce or direct, maybe this isn't something you want to do. If you're miserable every time, whatever it is, I always can find the love and joy and I wouldn't want to do anything else. I think the reason why I'm a teaching and performing artist is because all of it is about the art. Whether I'm helping another actor book a job or I'm booking it myself, it always makes my heart literally grow five million times like the Grinch when he finally finds Christmas and love in his heart. So I want that for all of you. May we all have big, furry, green Grinchy hearts growing 10 times as big. And that cute dog. He had a cute dog. Mm. I mean, you know, even the Grinch had a cute dog. Dogs are important. Of course. Yeah. Shout out to Bruno. Yeah. Maybe that's our, our, our extra. Get a dog. Get a dog. Yeah. Dogs are good. By the way, Bruno is on Instagram. Bruno, Bruno dog, is dog, our dog. dog Karen. Bruno, yeah. He's you a Karen, know. Karen Terrier. So you can find him uh, on the gram, which is Bruno.the.karen, and on Facebook, Bruno the Magnificent. And now it's time for bonus Bonus round. Bonus round. I don't remember the start. You can ask me, and then I'll try to remember to ask you them back. Good. Bonus round, question number one. David. Yes. Waffles. Or pancakes. Ooh, God, I really like both. I uh, I want to say waffles, but at home I only ever make pancakes because I think I don't think we have a waffle maker for one thing. Um, so no waffles are being made at home. So I'm definitely saying pancakes. I gotta have blueberries in them. Um, they might be protein pancakes or they might be the almond flour uh, gluten free version. Both are delicious. Uh, but if I'm out at a restaurant, I'm going to go for waffles. I believe. Same question for myself. Waffles. But David's right. We don't have a waffle maker. So all we make is pancakes at home. I think after today's podcast, we might be going and buying a waffle maker. Maybe. You don't really <laughs> like my pancakes, so you get you're well, kind of, you're a little picky about your pancakes. You know why? Because I'm a waffle person. Okay. Things you learn after 20 years. And you know why waffle? I think everyone who's listening, especially my waffle lovers out there. So crispy. Everything goes into those little teeny squares, so yeah. of course. And pancakes, it's just all kind of mush. It can be mushy. But it's just the consistency yeah. is not my jam. But the, and the waffles when they're like crispy and the butters and in there and like the, the blueberries and the, dude, what have we been doing? Mm, they're so good. All right. I think it's more work, but that's all right. Into the trenches of waffle making. All right. Question two. <laughs> question number two. Can we not say number two? It just. <laughs> <laughs> Question numero dos. Do you know what, remember what it is? Is it what is your jam? Is that a jam? Yes. Well, you better line it up. Go ahead. Set it up. Question number two for Angela. What is your jam? What is my jam? I see what you did there. Kind of a double meaning. Hmm. But I'm gonna go the music route. Okay. And my jam, when I just need to let go of a day, let loose, hands down, I'm putting on my I have a pretty big vinyl selection, my record player, and I will put on Aretha Franklin. Hmm. Hands down. It's it's Aretha. Right Anything Aretha. I think I have four or five uh, different albums and it doesn't matter. I just rock it, you know, sing it at the top of my lungs and let loose. Cool. What is your gem? Nice job. Nice job. Um, Marion berry, probably a darker berry, Marion berry or blackberry. Those are probably 
raspberry in a pinch. And then I was thinking about, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And for some reason, I kept thinking about Jodeci. <laughs> like Jodeci, Forever My Lady, 1991, 92. Ooh, that was, mm. but I like, I like so much music. There's so much stuff I like. Um, Jeff Buckley is up there pretty high oh, for like Buckley. stuff. But there's so much good music. There's so much music I love. I could go on forever. But let's just stick with, with that. Jodeci and Jeff Buckley. And uh, Marion Barry Jam. JJM. JJM. Question three. Question three. Finish this sentence, David. I would like to dedicate this Oscar to. We'll go with mom. Uh, she's always been super supportive. You know, she's my biggest fan, and uh, I certainly wouldn't have stuck with it without mom. So I'd like to dedicate this this award to mom. I would also go the mom route. Copycat. Copycat. Uh, my mom, hands down, has given everything, everything since day one uh, of her kids being born to make sure we never went without whether that was food or shelter, but especially support. And then I would just sidestep with my mom to say Moselle Pennington, who was my third and fourth grade teacher. I was very behind when I started. I went to an alternative school of the arts, Summit K-12, which is no longer, but an amazing school. We had small classes of 20 to 30 kids but they had a great theater program, so they supported me anytime I had to leave or be on a set. But Moselle Pennington, I remember the first day I stepped into her classroom, and I couldn't read very well. And most everybody was obviously reading by then, and I was so ashamed. And she noticed that I was struggling, and she took me aside and took me outside into the hallway, and I just broke down crying. And she said, I'm going to help you if you let me. And by the end of that year, I was ahead of the entire class. I would win what we had then called readathons, which was where kids would read books and people would sponsor them. Mm -hmm, I remember that. So they would pay like five cents per book, and uh, and that's all Moselle. And obviously, it's hard to be an actor if you can't read. Won't be able to read those scripts. Totally. So Moselle Pennington and my mom. Shout out to the moms. Yeah. Well, your mom. Your mom is pretty awesome. Yeah. We got some good moms. Number four. Is there four? Is there a fourth one? There is the fourth. There's the fourth one. Next time I go into the trenches, I'll be sure to. I will be sure to. Ooh, I'm going to think about my producing. I'm going to be sure to set aside enough time for pre-production. Set enough. I'm going to have, I'm going to set more time aside than I think I need for pre-production. Full stop. That's all I'm going to say about that. Next time... I go into the trenches. I think I will also do this. For, well, I'll do this for my actors listening. So as an actor, next time I go into the trenches. So whether that's for a film or play, I am going to invite the cast over to my house for nachos to create a sense of community early on because I think a lot of times with film, we don't get to have rehearsals. So we end up on set and nobody really knows each other. And what better way to connect over Mama's Nachos? So anyone listening, cast me because I'm about to have you over for nachos. And I think that's a pretty good incentive. Right? <laughs> There's no better way to finish the episode than with a little shout out 
to the power of nachos. To the power of the nacho. Boom. Thank you for spending some time with us in the trenches. This is the part of the episode where we say things like, please subscribe and like us and follow us on social. Where can they find us, Angela? We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Mighty Tripod. Subscribe. Be mighty. Holla at your boy. Be safe out there. Into the trenches.